Performance Podcast from Bottomline Technologies. Greetings and welcome to the Payments Podcast. My name is John Gaffney. I'll be your host for this episode that continues our discussion of business payments trends for 2024. Today, the topic is the user experience, user interfaces, and their place in the look, feel, and information gathering capability of websites and other points of interaction. How important is this topic today? Well, according to research from WebFX, 94% of first impressions of a brand relate to UX design. It also showed that just five users are enough to spot problems in website performance, and only 55% of all businesses conduct user experience testing. So there's a lot to cover here today, and I know those data points don't sit well with our guest today. Kelly White is the head of user experience at Bottom Line, has spent her 20-year career delivering engaging digital experiences in several roles within digital contexts, ranging from agency work to product development and consultancy. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you, John. I'm really delighted to be here today to talk about user experience trends for 2024, or UX for short, as we like to call it. Yes, UX for short. We're delighted to have you. Um, So I want to start with a general question, Kelly, because I'm sure there's some designers in our audience, um, but most of our listeners are going to be finance leaders at banks or corporates of various sizes, actually. So why should a CFO, for example, be concerned about user experience and how should they approach improving it? Sure. Okay. Well, I mean, first off, we live in an era of high expectations. Customers anticipate exceptional experiences in the work days, mostly because easy to use apps are pervasive in our personal lives. We've become accustomed to seamless and straightforward digital experiences. And UX covers off everything from utility, so really understanding what customers need, to usability and design. And it's key to ensuring that a positive experience is baked into the user journeys throughout an app in our product design process. This is a critical ingredient in the finance sector and and payments industry where trust, security and, and convenience are crucial factors for customers. So really paying attention to user experience strengthens the bonds between a business and their customers, helping to achieve a competitive edge and can really boost customer satisfaction, brand loyalty, and business success. And the key thing really is always to remind ourselves, this is something that we think about a lot in our product design work, and we need to take it on board all the time, is that we're not the users. Now, I know that that might sound easier than, uh, than what it is, actually, because we have to continue to remind ourselves that we're not designing for ourselves, which means that we spend time talking to, listening to, and observing what customers and users have to say and what they do. Um, Then we take those insights and we feed them back into our product process. And that continually helps us to walk in the shoes of our our users and customers. And it's a very important factor of user experience and something that can really help to improve our user experiences in the applications that we design. Um, We always aim to go high, so go beyond customer experiences in crafting meaningful solutions around them. And we also try and get and create moments of delight within them. And like so many others within the field of UX would say that adopting a user-centric approach is now a requirement. It's, It's just not an option anymore. Um, because of these high expectations that we all have. 
So I guess, John, what does it mean uh, to create a, a great experience? So if, if I can kind of think about taking onboarding, for instance, some of what we, we may mean in creating a, a great user experience is, is things like pre-filling information. You know, that would be from using existing customer data that we have. So if, if a customer is coming to, to fill in a form or they're going through an onboarding process, a lot of forms and a lot of fields and information are required from them. It's, it's about only asking them for essential information upfront, allowing them to kind of access features and functionality straight away and pacing the amount of information provided. The key here really is to get them into the app as, and using the app as quickly as possible. And this is where UX comes in. Um, it's really safeguarding user needs, understanding what they need, advocating for what's best for them continually in that, in that product creation process so that we balance those needs and their needs with our business needs. And, and that's really where UX can help. Kelly, one of the trends we hear about so far in our series um, surrounds AI. We've, we've heard that from everybody we've interviewed so far. How do you see AI intersecting with user experience design next year? Great, great question. So I'll, I'll come at it from a hyper-personalization perspective because that is a big trend in UX for 2024 and has been for a number of years, actually. Um, today, increased digitization and advanced uh, data analytics allows companies to create detailed pictures of their customers by gaining a deep understanding of their preferences and behaviors, which is great because customers want to deal with businesses who understand who they are and what they need. Data analytics, AI, and automation are used to create individually crafted authentic interactions. These are what we call and we refer to when we, we, we talk about hyper-personalized experiences, which customers have actually really come to expect. Um, AI is used to adapt a customer's behaviors and preferences in real time, giving a more relevant and prompt suggestions and experiences. Uh, UX Mens of mine once said that we spend most of our day on our devices, right? But they, still, they, they really should know us intimately, um, better than most, but, but they just don't. You know, I come onto my um, laptop every morning doing the same thing, right? I, I hit Teams, I hit Outlook. Um, it's all coming from me. I'm the drive, I'm in the driving seat, but really I'm sure it should know by now that, you know, I want to kind of access specific information first thing. So why doesn't it bring it to me? And that's where like personalization really, really comes in. Um, algorithms learn and adapt, which could mean altering an app's layout and appearance dependent on a user's behavior or notification timing and frequency, depending on a user's activity. And to give a couple of examples of that, right? An entertainment channel personalizes recommendations growing from many sources, for example. Customer, customer ratings would be one of those, but they also draw on implicit signals too. So how users are actually interacting with their content, how long they watch it for, whether they rewind, fast forward, stop watching, and if so, at what point? This is really this is learn this learning is then fed back into the rec recommendations. Another great example where hyperpersonalization is prevalent is in customer service. Um, these days, 24/7 direct communication between customers and businesses is made possible by interactive features like chatbots and virtual assistants, who can deliver support in multiple languages. 
They understand the user's requests and give customized, easy to understand replies. So a customer, for example, can ask questions like, how can I save $500 this month? Using natural language processing and machine learning and access to transaction history and spending patterns, tailored insights uh, about the habits are derived and communicated, helping customers evaluate and make better decisions around where and how to make those savings. Um, the response also is, is, is framed in a way that we understand too, in a, in a human and a helpful way. It's all about personalized experiences, tailored advice and recommendations, pricing optimization and, and tactical communications at the right time and in the right context. And ultimately all this boosts use engagement and reduces the customer support effort. Kelly, I'm gonna go back, I'm gonna to change topics a little bit here. I'm gonna go back to our 2023 business payments barometer project that debuted in, back in June. It showed that the top three drivers of change from 2022 to 2023 were access to the cloud, access to SaaS-based technologies and subscription business models, as well as access to mobile capabilities. So my question for you is around number three, what does it take to craft a compelling user experience for mobile in the context of business payment? For customers' ability to log into their accounts easily and conduct transactions from any location is, is highly valued. We need to achieve a lot in our work days these days, and we're busy, really busy and time poor. And we don't spend, the, the key thing here actually is, is that we don't spend uh, all day in one app either. Our, our focus is fractured. Um, mobile devices actually offer us a channel to notify customers when they're outside of the app, which is useful, especially, for example, if another team member is blocked in a particular situation. And I'll come on to that a little bit more in a minute. but. If customers, uh, it offers customers a way to access something important outside of the thing that they're actually currently doing. At bottom line, we have native mobile, mobile apps that are connected to main payments apps uh, that they support, right? And we may support things like uh, payments and invoice approval. But beyond that, we also have application in interfaces in our main apps where the, the layout responds to a user's device adapting to an optimum layout for that device. And in UX, we call this responsive design. So on, on this last point around responsive design, we, we have a lot of B2B2C experiences that we cater for, where, we, where we expect uh, consumers to be on their mobile devices. And here the requirements don't lend themselves towards using a, a native app per se, uh, but the experience must be streamlined and user-friendly akin to the experiences that we've come to expect on our mobiles. Uh, so we've done things where we pass a payment from a desktop to a mobile device using a QR code to quickly get users into their online banking and leveraging uh, biometric authentication via facial recognition or fingerprint scanning because the desktop online banking experiences is oftentimes you know, incredibly awkward. So we've done those, those types of things. Um, when you think about it more broadly, though, about, uh, regarding business, it's that we communicate with our customers via multiple touch points, such as websites, mobile apps, call centers, and physical branches, and the like. You know, customers should transfer between these channels without experiencing any disruption. And we talk, we talk about this, uh, the, the term that we use is omni-channel experiences. 
Um, on a basic level, that means your mobile app and desktop app should be broadly similar and connected in real time. And you should, users should be able to seamlessly switch from one to the other to complete tasks. And going deeper, it means delivering consistent branding, messaging, services across every, every touch point from your uh, social media ads to the emails that you, you send your customers. So one of the things that fascinated me in preparing for this is this concept of inclusive and accessible experiences. So let's cover the inclusive aspect of this first. What do you mean from a UX perspective when you talk about an inclusive user experience? In fact, we've actually just covered one aspect of inclusive design of when we were just talking about omnichannel experiences and mobile experiences. Inclusivity is actually a, you know, a really broad brush, but simply put, it's the principle that you should design for the widest range of people in multiple contexts and circumstances, which creates a better, you know, which, which creates better designs and benefits for everyone. And for me, this is actually the heart of UX, uh, stepping into the shoes of our users to really understand their needs. Uh, ordinarily, utility is the most important factor to get right. But there's so many nuances of context that we need to consider. It might mean, for instance, minimizing intrusiveness within a workflow uh, while notifications or modals guide within the experience. They, sh they should never disrupt. And I'll give you a great example of that, which actually happened to me the other day. I went on, uh, I went onto a website to read an article. Um, something that I was really interested in, it was a, a thought leadership piece. But within 15 seconds of starting to read the article, my screen was taken over by an ad asking if I was interested in taking a course with them. Now, that annoyed me <laughs> because my, my workflow was interrupted. Uh, it would have been better for the ad to be triggered once I'd hit the bottom of the page and I'd read the article and I'd actually, got, I'd actually thought to myself, wow, you know, they really know what they're talking about. Um, then, you know, surely present the ad to me, uh, but to present it to me in the middle of me doing something was really disruptive. And, and we've, got to, we've got to continuously kind of balance the, the user needs against the kind of you know, the business needs, the sales needs, the marketing needs to, to and strike that balance, um, which is really key. For example, you know, using a design tactic like a micro interaction to subtly educate users about features or updates when tasks are complete would work here too. Um, these help to instruct and reassure you, users within a workflow. So a friend of mine the other day um, described reading content on the internet as like opening a magazine and things fly out at you when you open it. It's just, yeah, it's just, dangerous. Yeah, it's right. It's dangerous. You don't know what you're going to get hit with. So let's go back to the question though. Um, that Those are the inclusive experiences. What about accessible user experiences? What do we mean by that? Yeah. Okay. Well, there, there's several inclusivity design principles uh, that uh, that we use in our, de in our design. Equitable use is, is key when we talk about accessibility. Uh, which falls under the umbrella of inclusive design. So ultimately, anyone should be able to use a product or service, regardless of who they are, what they're capable of, and you know nobody should be excluded. Uh, this may include catering for physical or mental impairment, or for instance, those with low levels of computer literacy. 
we often overlook the amount of people that fall into this category too. You know, according to the, the World Health Organization, 15% 15 of the world's population has some disability, some sort of disability. And that's a lot of people that we're excluding if we don't design with accessibility in mind. Um, other inclusive design principles include things like flexibility in use, simple and intuitive use, perceptible information, meaning that the design communicates the necessary information, and low physical effort, which means cognit uh, cognitive effort too. So, you know, nobody wants to read a wall of text as soon as you hit a, web a website. Uh, we want short, sharp bullet points of information that are really easy, easily digestible. And I would say too that inclusive design includes smart working, which is the concept where we examine how people work today and we find opportunities to join the dots to facilitate connected experiences across naturally disconnected environments, whether that be tools or devices um, and, and the like. Yeah, that's what you do. Do you connect experiences? That's excellent. Thank you. Um, so I was talking with one of our executives on the digital banking team the other day, and the conversation uh, turned to APIs, uh, and in specific, the APIs and the user experiences. Now, we know the API economy will continue to be an issue next year, but what does it take to design an effective and inclusive experience for API? And tell us, if you could, what happens if it's not done right? Okay. Okay. So... Yeah, a lot of our discussion has been focused on interconnected experiences, you know, smart working, omnichannel experiences, mobile apps. Um, we live in a, a connected world where virtually every aspect of our lives is composed by technology. Uh, we have smartphone devices that interface with the Internet of Things to monitor our health or connect or and connect us with friends to compete, you know, compete against them on, on our daily cycles. Uh, we live in a connected world that shares information. And, and this is where APIs, you know, APIs provide the foundation for supporting these really rich experiences, enabling customers to seamlessly access real-time information, which is, you know, as you've just said, reshape the business world and facilitates uh, today's digital revolution. So businesses can build upon a huge network of functionality and data exposed over APIs. So there's that aspect of what APIs enable us to do from a customer experience perspective. And as I've said, the richness of that experience that we can create using them. However, the other side, and to answer your question, uh, is on the experience of, I guess, the developers consuming the API and the importance of getting that right. Um, these days, APIs are treated as products. So, and that's in what we call the, an API first approach which means that we treat them like any other product that we design uh, and all the process with, processes within that design. Um, we step into the shoes of the developer, as I've spoken about a lot today, really understanding their context, what their needs are. We observe them, we talk to them, we listen to them, and we think about how they interact or how they need to interact with the API we consider how to educate them on the functionality, how to maintain the API over time from a product perspective and a maintenance perspective, which tools we build it with, you know, and how we stick to consistent standards and simplicity and the like. Well said. So 
Um, we've covered a lot of ground, Kelly. Here's my last question for you, and that's it's kind of an omnibus questions. Um, what are some of the other innovations you're looking at for next year and beyond? Yeah. So I think uh, social comment, commerce is on the rise. Selling goods or services directly with social media platforms like Facebook, Meta, Instagram, Pinterest, and TikTok. Uh, it meets consumers where they are and you know, as we've spoken about a lot today, is stepping into the user context again, really understanding what their needs are within that context. So allowing them to make a purchase immediately and seamlessly on social media, rather than redirecting them to a business's website and taking them out of their context or their current experience. Uh, the result is a quicker path to purchase with less friction and more on-demand action. Then the other thing is live com commerce which is really growing, which allows customers to buy products that they see on screen during live streaming events, which is really interesting, I think. Um, the purchase is often completed in, in, in one click using buy links or QR codes, which you've spoken about too, uh, shown on the screen. And it's growing rapidly thanks to, to uh, in part, to the appealing mix of shopping, entertainment and social interaction that it offers. Uh, consumers, Consuming examples really inspire us to replicate the ease of use and simplicity in the business payments landscape. So, so that's that's key. We often look to that those consumer experiences and take that learning into our design work within the business payments landscape. Uh, we constantly search for the opportunities to automate, to streamline, and connect disparate systems and tools uh, so that we can make things easier for our users, so that we can make things work better for them. And I guess we've touched a lot on uh, touched on a few of these today in our conversation. Yeah, we certainly have. Okay, that's great. Um, yeah, I always wanted to know, and I think you did a great job laying out why a CFO or a CEO should be concerned with user experience. So, so well done on that. So that's going to be a wrap for this episode of the Payments Podcast. My guest has been Bottom Line's head of user experience, Kelly White. Kelly, thanks for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. It certainly has. Join us next time. We are available on all the leading podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. See you next time. The Payments Podcast from Bottom Line Technologies.